Hi guys, welcome back to the Normalize the Conversation series. My name is Francesca and I'm the founder of Inspiring My Generation. And today I'm here with Ramis Heron. Did I pronounce that right? Correct. Perfect. And he is the founder of More Than Mental Project. Thank you so much for having me, uh, for coming, joining me. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> One of those days. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> So tell me a little bit about yourself and your incredible nonprofit and how you got started with it. So um, I'm 25, I'll be 26 this year. And basically a few years ago, my life was in a completely different direction. I was actually living in LA and I was a creative director in LA and everything was like kind of like the dream life as people would say. It was really fun, but I started to notice that it took a really big strain on my mental health. And I, I was honestly one of those people who didn't really believe in mental health. Like it wasn't like a thing for me. I was like, oh, like if you're going through something, take a moment, bounce back, you'll be fine. Um, but I started going through things personally, like devastatingly, like I was losing family members, friends, like everything in my life kind of changed. And after that, um, I ended up trying to take my own life, um, ended up in the hospital for a couple of weeks, kind of like changed my entire life after that um and not even instantly I it took me about two years after that even happened to even start this project and um it was weird because like it all started from the logo I was ended up starting to write a book about like my struggle well the book ended up getting like taken from some people back in LA that I trusted that I shouldn't have uh the manuscript like was basically like stolen and they wouldn't give it back to me unless I paid them a certain amount of money so I started looking at the cover art and I just kept staring at it saying like, I wanted to do something with it I had no idea what I was going to do with it and I remember looking at my co-founder and best friend and being like, I don't know why, but I feel like we should just start something here. And it really started out so different. Like it started off as small events. Like we were just hosting like yoga uh, class, pop-up yoga classes. We would do skate nights and just kind of like bring people together for therapeutic community. But then like everything changed and like we had a team all of a sudden. I was back in school, like getting my degree for social work, like everything just switched. And now we are official, like certified, like 501c3 tax exempt nonprofit. Um, so like it just kind of all happened. I won't say by accident, but I felt like it fell into place at the perfect time. Like I said, like the logo really like sparked inspiration and like to just really like understand that other people are going through like just what I, I was going through and even more. So it just kind of opened a lot of doors for me personally. I have to say your story is so incredible and it's very similar to mine. I went through the same thing where I lost a couple of family members and then I couldn't grieve, didn't know how to grieve and it felt like too much and I ended up in a mental hospital as well after attempting at my life and kind of spent a year in recovery and learning about myself and mental health and just I was writing this blog inspiring my generation when I was 12 I've had it my whole life and I was like what if I take this and turn it into a nonprofit? and it just kind of happened so I find that crazy that our stories are very similar in that way 
because there's so many people out there that like are like us that don't understand and you know I've been blessed enough that now I work at a mental health hospital and I just meet so many kids like and young adults just like me in a position that I was in I'm like look let me tell you this because I promise like it can get better you just have to you know really work for it honestly like it, it is a lot of work it's challenging it's some days are so much tougher than others and we both know that like some days are super hard like you know this past week for me has been extremely difficult to just find social energy and find the energy to even do anything but you know every day is a challenge that you have to really choose like today I'm still going to get better today I'm going to continue to go exactly and I love that you so do you you work in a mental hospital with kids I do I do I work about that and what that's like It is honestly so amazing. So I um, started as a mental health technician. And so like they just are on the floor kind of helping like run the unit and like making sure everybody's okay. And then I had the opportunity to start being one of the recreational therapists. So I have done that. And now I'm in school for social work about to get my degree this May. And I'll be officially a licensed social worker and therapist. (laughs) Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. So what was that like when you decided you wanted to go back to school? I'm at that point now where I was like, I want to go back. I want to get a degree in mental health counseling. So I'm starting applications now. So what was that like, the whole application process to getting in and starting? It was honestly kind of really like weird for me because I hated school. That was the whole reason like I was a dancer <laughs> and a creative director because it was something I didn't have to go to school for. But it was like, honestly, it was because I got, I started at the hospital first just to, just to see if this was even the field that I really wanted to be in and kind of see firsthand, like, all right, like you're going to see all the nitty gritty. You're going to see everything. Like you're working with all different types of people from therapists to, you know, clinical directors to nurses to techs and everybody else who are in this. There's so many people involved. And so it was like, it kind of inspired me once I started getting really close with all the therapists and like realizing how much they wanted to do and how much they felt limited and I was like okay well if I have my degree and I have my nonprofit, like we could really do this so it just kind of was like it was interesting and the application like I decided to go to like um, our community college first I was like I'm not like paying all this money absolutely not so I went to community college and thankfully the hospital that I work at does tuition reimbursement so like that was paid for for me So it all just kind of fell into place. It was like really nice. I got to like talk with everybody. It's been a super nice process to have like the help of other social workers being like, oh, you're at that part of the degree field. Like, let me just help you with that. And it's been like super motivational and helpful to get like other people's help. It's been really nice. That's amazing. It's awesome how the universe really connects us to the right people at the right time. It opens so many doors for us. Correct. So real quick, I just want to ask, does the hospital that you work at have anything like an encouragement card program where people donate cards to the patients? No. So I do that for Inspiring My Generation. Every month I donate to um, the, one of the mental hospitals down here mm-hmm. at, in Florida and we donate 150 cards a month. Let me show you these cards. If your hospital yes. is interested, I would love to send some to your hospital every month as well. Yes. So we do. These are just the ones I started for this month. But like I do a cute little quote on the front. Yes. And inside like a poem and an encouraging message. 
I love that. So if your hospital is interested, I would love to have Inspiring My Generation start donating to them as well. I would, I will definitely talk to my clinical director as soon as I get back to work tomorrow, like first thing. I think he would be really interested in that. Definitely. Awesome. That's amazing. So back to you, tell me more about More Than Mental Project and what your initiatives are and what you're doing. So the More Than Mental Project, like I said, it started based with therapeutic community. We just wanted to bring like-minded people together to start conversations and just kind of show people everyone's kind of going through this. Now we've really branched and reached a point to where we're kind of like expanding and we're actually wanting to provide like good, helpful, affordable, uh, dang near free resources because like therapy like is expensive. Like, you know, paying 75 to $100 per session and that's a low end session is kind of like expensive when you don't have insurance or like that's not really a fund like you really can like take out of your check and be like I'm gonna go spend like $150 to go talk to somebody once a week it's kind of expensive so we wanted to provide those resources and connect people with a actual good treatment that is not what I call a treating street to where they get them in the hospital they take care of them for like five to seven days and they're like all right you're back out and nothing really changed like I want to see the change and I know everyone can't like you can't help them all I've always said that like I am realistic but at the same time the ones who do want help I actually want to provide you you know an actual road to recovery and a road to get to where you want to be so we are just like we're doing that like I have LMSW I have licensed social workers already on staff I have um, a doctor on staff like I have people who can actually like diagnose and talk to you and like tell you what you're going through which has been a big, big blessing for me I've kind of ran into these people by accident honestly I have nurse practitioners on staff like it's been honestly the biggest blessing that I've had but we just really want to provide affordable good treatment in the space of therapeutic community so we have programs like we're starting a podcast called starting the talk where all of us licensed therapists and social workers get together and we teach people how to start the talk not only from like a person dealing with it but from a family member standpoint trying to help like because they don't always know what to say so it's really difficult to try to help somebody when you're like, I don't really know how to like approach the situation. And then we have special LGBTQ uh, plus community ones where we're like, all right, you have to start to talk a little differently than how they would start to talk. So it's like, cause we're already on the defense. And so it's, it's gotten really interesting. We have a, a program called Hallway Health where we're trying to get back into schools and showcase mental health through different types of performances and creative creative ways we have panel discussion styles where a couple of us go and we set up like a panel and we talk to the kids and you know we're just trying to do everything that we can to hit any aspect that we can and our biggest thing is we don't care where the message comes from as long as you're receiving the message like we don't care if our follower base only stays at you know 300 but this other one that we know and love is like at 50,000 we're going to continue to support them because we need you if that's where you're going to get the message that's fine just receive the message. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. And I love that podcast because it's so true that a lot of times we don't know how to open the conversation and tell people about our mental health. And a lot of times people on the receiving end don't know how to be supportive because they're never taught. Right. And the education system in schools, they didn't really teach you how to approach mental health and how to have these conversations. 
you never learn it. So if you don't learn it, how are you supposed to know? And there's such this negative stigma around it that, you know, of course, older generations specifically aren't going to understand the same way that younger generations are because younger generations are studying having the conversation and older generations grew up around the stigma. So providing that education and resource is so important because I think the biggest contribution to the stigma is the lack of education and understanding. It's not because people want to be mean or judgmental towards mental health. It's a really a lack of understanding and knowledge. Right. So that's absolutely incredible what you're doing. I definitely agree with that. It's just the lack of knowledge around all areas. Like you said, the older generation has grew up around a stigma around it and the younger generation trying to bring it in. But it's kind of hard to, you know, change old habits that the older generation has been stuck in forever. So it's it's a weird twist because like I, I get patients, like I said, who are the older generation. They're like, well, I wasn't allowed to be depressed. And I'm like, but you are. You are clinically depressed. And then the younger generation, it was like, well, I'm just so anxious. I was like, are you anxious, actually? Or are you just using that as a fun word? Because, you know, now everybody is using it. Like, let's figure out if you're actually anxious or are you just like a little nervous about something? So it's a very, it's a very hard balance. Cause like you want, I always want to validate someone's feelings, but as a therapist, we actually have to look through and see what is actually like going on. And like, it's difficult sometimes. That's a really amazing point that you brought up because a lot of people, I think mental health is starting to be like trending now, right? Where everyone's anxious, everyone has depression, everyone has suicidal ideation. And I think people don't realize that there's a normal level of anxiety that Mm -hmm. you have. It's okay to be afraid of something or to worry about something that's normal. That's part of being human. And then there's a difference between that and having panic attacks every day and really struggling or being shutting down. Yeah, or being depressed where you're in bed for weeks, you can't get up, you have no energy, you have no ability to interact with everybody, you're pulling away. That's very different than feeling sad. And a lot of people don't realize that. And we're kind of just throwing the words around too loosely now. Correct. So now it's, and that's where like, we want to, I want to level it to where it's like, okay, I I always, I never want to like neglect what you're feeling ever. I'd never want to minimize it. But I do want to keep it real and be like, okay, what are we actually feeling? Like, do you feel like you can't get out of bed? Or do you just feel like, oh, today's a little rough for me? Both are okay. Both are valid feelings. But like, let's make sure we're taking the right steps for each and not like causing a catastrophe when it's really not that. Exactly. And there's definitely different approaches to dealing with both situations. Depression versus sadness is a very different level of treatment and help. sadness is more self-care can really help boost up your mood versus depression can really need therapy or medication to really help you back to that point yeah and then the whole self-care me and one of my uh friends talk about this all the time how we just hate self-care like we know it's important but we hate this whole like just bubble bath and go shopping and your self-care and it's like um no No. (laughs) self-care is so much deeper it's taking time to yourself it's figuring out what you need it's uh, saying no when you really want to say no like when you've been saying yes it's like saying hey no I don't want to go out today that is self-care it's setting boundaries that is self-care it's not just a bubble bath and a face mask and a little bit of like retail therapy and all of a sudden you're fine No, because you're still doing things you don't want to do with friends. You're still not setting your boundaries. You're still letting people walk all over you. You're not taking proper care of yourself. You're not having self-care. So, yeah. 
I think a lot of people, you know, with that whole retail therapy, I'm all for retail therapy, but that's not self-care because it's not helping you better understand, explore your emotions and kind of heal and grow. It's just another way of deflecting from the problem. And that new thing is only going to cause like that amount of like satisfaction for so long before you want another new thing. I have done it. (laughs) I have spent thousands and thousands of dollars on things and my friends and everybody in my life is like, really? And it's not even always for me. It's sometimes like I will spend all this money for other people and people will be like, for me. And I'm like, yes. (laughs) And it only brings me happiness for that long because after a while, the joy of it is over. It's no longer a new thing after you had it for so long. It's now like, okay, like I've had this forever. That's cute. I'm over it. Exactly. And then the next new thing comes out and you're like, well, now I need that. And you're always comparing it against something. So retail therapy is not self-care. It can be fun. It can be a great way to relax and get out, but it is not actually self-care. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I love me some good retail therapy. Sometimes it's exactly what you need. Like buy a couple cute new things. Cool. But like, if that's the only thing you know how to do, you probably want to figure something else out. (laughs) Exactly. And then there's also this new trend where everybody is like setting boundaries and saying no as like for their self-care. But they're just saying no because they don't want to be supportive. It's like that whole how are you conversation where you greet somebody and you're like, how are you? And you don't expect an answer or you expect them to say, good, how are you? And I think that's also part of the problem with mental health and having these conversations. Because if I say, hi, how are you? And then you just like spew on about something terrible going on and I wasn't ready for that and I didn't actually expect that, I may not know how to respond. And then there creates Mm -hmm. that, uncomfortable like situation so I think your podcast is going to be an amazing tool to really help people have those real conversations and change the way we approach the how are you greeting definitely and that that's the thing it's like all I tell people all the time I tell everybody this is like always make sure when you are about to unpack because that's what we call it like are you ready to unpack that literally you'll see it in my bio because like that is just like what my brain goes to but like When I tell people that it's not even in the sense of like trying to be funny, it's like, are you actually ready to unpack like the things you're about to say? And not only that, is the person you're talking to ready to receive it? Because you could be walking up to me and I have a giant smile on my face and I look like I'm in the best mood and you just dumped all this on me. You little did you know, I just had the biggest argument with, you know, whoever in my life and this person just passed away and this person just happened. And I'm like... I wasn't ready to receive that. Like I was putting on a smile to get through today. And now you just dumped all that on me. And I'm like, now we're both stuck. So like, and I know you, like people always forget to ask. It's not a common thing to ask when you call up somebody and like, hey, are you ready to receive this? Are you in a mental, like, are you in a mental? It's, that is so hard, but I want it to be so normal that people are calling going, hey, how are you? Like, what's going on? Like, hey, I have a lot going on. Like, are you in a mental state space to receive a lot? Or like, are you like not doing well right now? If the, if not, that's okay. Like, you know, I was just like, I wanted to know, hey, sorry, I, whatever you're going through, I hope it's, you know, I hope it gets better, but I'm not actually ready to receive it. You know, I'm sending you love and positivity though. Awesome, cool. Like, thanks, I'll call someone else. Problem solved. Both of you like understand y'all are going through stuff. You're going to send like love and stuff. But at the same time, you know, you both had to be like, no, I can't. So like, like you said, that whole boundary thing is so, it gets kind of annoying because people think they're setting boundaries when I'm sorry, you're not, you're just being a butt. Like you're not 
setting boundaries you're just being mean like and then you're saying oh that's my boundary no it's not it's not a boundary you just didn't like you just didn't care enough exactly mental health has really turned into like a trend that people use as excuses mm-hmm. and that's what's so like terrifying about it because like there's always this back and forth fight like I seen this post literally today and it related so well and it was it said like it basically said like oh like sorry I didn't text back you know I was going through something and I didn't feel like getting out of bed and you know and that's okay and then someone the post under it was like well you still could have communicated and then somebody was like both and it was like it that is true though like sometimes like this past weekend I turned my phone on airplane mode the entire weekend which is not like me like I just did not want to talk to people but there come a time when like, it's been like two days and no one has heard from me. I have to be respectful of my friends and my family and pop up and go, hey, just letting you know, I'm okay. That's where the communication steps in. It's okay to take a step back and take time for yourself, but people still wanna know you're okay. People are still gonna worry about you. So you have to like, you have to show face sometimes at least to somebody, you know? So you can't just like disappear and like no one knows where you are and they can't get in contact with anybody you know that's in your life that is so bad that is so shady and so like I just I seen that post and I was like actually both are correct like yes you're allowed to take this time to be like I don't want to talk to anybody but at the same time you're still responsible for communicating and being like hey like I'm just gonna need a little bit more time like I know I haven't been talking to you for the past couple days like give me like two or three more days I'll be back and I'll like check in again yeah that's so important because a lot of times we I don't want to say we tend to be selfish in our self-care, but we tend to kind of pull ourselves back so hard to protect ourselves and really get ourselves back in that space. We forget about all the people who are affected by us pulling back. And sometimes it's important to just check in and let them know, hey, I'm pulling back for a little bit. I need some space. I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. I just need this space. Or, hey, I know I've been away for a few days. I want you to know that I love you and I care about you and I appreciate you so much, but I do need this little bit of space. Correct. And that's the thing is like, it's, it's right there. It's that fine line of like, yes, it's okay to be selfish, but like people still care about you and you still have to let them know. Like it's, it's nice to be like, all right, like I'm just going to do this for myself. Cool. That's fine. All of my friends, when I came back, like I understood, they understood. And then like, that's just how it was. But at the same time, like I came back and I was like, Hey, sorry for the past few days. I don't want to talk. And on the other end with like your friends, for me personally, I know if I have one of my friends who like text me, like, just so you know, like I'm having a bad day, I'm probably going to not be too active for the next few days. I'll text them every day and I'll be like, Hey, you don't have to answer. I'm just checking in and letting you know, in case you really want to talk, I am here. Yeah. Or just right. hey, love you. Just, I know you already know this, but I'm still here. Right. Because the worst thing I feel like when you feel really alone is when nobody checks in and then you really feel alone. So it goes both ways, right? With us communicating when we're having one of those tough moments and our friends and loved ones knowing we're having one of those tough moments, making sure they're still taking that little effort and knowing I'm not putting any pressure on you to respond. You don't expect a response. I just want you to know I'm here. Right. Because the worst feeling is to come out of that and realize no one has actually checked on you. It will just send you deeper. Like you're like, well, now I really don't want to come out. What's the point? No one even cares. So yeah, that it's very difficult in these situations. Everything is so like, it's, you're walking on eggshells with mental health. And like, that's when I really like, I started 
to start cracking the eggshells and being like, all right, let's just plant a firm foot down and be like, okay, I get where you're coming from, but you also have to see where other people are coming from. It's uh, it ha- Mental health is all about a balance because the way you feel and the way I feel are going to be two different things and both are valid because both are our feelings, but like someone has to be like realistic and be like, okay, like what's the real like outcome of this? What is going to help both of us? Exactly. And it's so important to realize that we're all going to deal with mental health differently. And if we're having like an episode, just because you don't pull away, doesn't mean that one of your loved ones is not, is going to not pull away as well. Right. So we all react differently. So if somebody pulls away and gets quiet and doesn't really reach out, that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with them or that they're crazy or that they don't care or they don't love you or they just want to be dramatic or want attention. They just might deal with it differently. And I think a lot of people put this expectation or judgment around somebody not waving back to them or smiling back to them like they don't love me anymore they don't care but it's like maybe they didn't see you just like with mental health maybe they just needed that little bit of space and has nothing to do with you personally correct definitely that (laughs) so back to more than mental project starting to sell some t-shirts and hoodies and just some amazing merchandise and The proceeds from that go to help pay for therapy. Is that correct? Yes. So this helps pay for the system that we're going to use to like for the booking and the online sessions. It helps pay for the actual therapist's time because, you know, a lot of people do donate a lot of their time, but people still have to like, you know, live and work. So this helps pay for therapists' time. It helps just like us reach out to more people and like get involved in more bigger organizations so they can get in, donate, and we can take it to the next level. So it just brings more, the more donations and the proceeds that we have gives us more of a base to kind of, you know, not only make this just a month, but like, hopefully, like we can be like, all right, like now we've reached our goal of a month. Now we can extend it to the end of the year and we can get free therapy for the rest of the year. And then all of a sudden we can be like, you know, that online like platform that's actually providing like real like therapy and things like that, like teletherapy that is actually like good therapy and not just like, you know, like certain I know there are certain apps you can download and get like free therapy and free help, but like, and I'm not saying any names to those apps, but like, they're not always great. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm like, what is this? Like, this is very bare bones, basic information. Like, I want you to be actually be able to connect with somebody and actually feel like you're getting quality help that like you need and somebody who actually cares and really knows you. Exactly. And I think that a lot of people who start these apps and start these websites, it's always from this amazing place of wanting to help, but doing the bare minimum doesn't always help. And I love that you want to go above and beyond and really provide that safe space for people to get access to treatment. Because I saw some statistic where like almost 60% of people living with mental illness don't have access to treatment commonly due to um, either the infrastructure even if there is online therapy, they might not have high quality Wi-Fi that supports the telehealth. Then you have financial barriers. Then you have insurance where it's like, you can have the best insurance, but your deductible might be a couple thousand dollars that you have to get to before your insurance starts covering mental health. People don't realize how many barriers really are in place 
all of that on top of the stigma of admitting you have a mental illness and need treatment. Or even if you don't have mental illness and you just want to go to therapy because therapy can be used for growth, for healing, for grieving, for overcoming trauma, for so many different things. The stigma around right. going to therapy is already so massive. Right. It makes it very difficult for people to get help. And that's the thing is like that it really frustrates me is because like you said, the people who start these apps and these things, yes, you're coming from a great place and it's all amazing, but like how many people are you actually being able to help? And, you know, like, again, like I think of like huge organizations that are like, they started from a great place, but now you're so capital and you're so mainstream and you're so huge that honestly, like your vision has been lost. Like you're more focused on the bigger side of it and partnering with giant, you know, production companies and putting your message out there and knowing that other companies are going to still donate to you because they get a freaking huge write-off than actually providing the great service that you once used to provide. And again, it leads me back to like not saying names, obviously, but like there are several companies and organizations that pop in my head that are like, you used to be so great. And now you're too worried about like partnering with this person and partnering with that person and making sure you get the dollar and meeting your bottom line to like, you know, do all this stuff. And it's like, what you're doing is still great. I will never take away from it. But at the same time, like, are you actually getting to know these people? Like, you know, are you actually like being like, all right, you are like dedicated to this zone. Get to know everybody in this zone. See if like you can actually meet up with some of these people. See if you can actually like send out personal emails. Like we're going to have an organization, like an event in your city. You should come out. Like Things like that like need to be happening still instead of like y'all hosting one big event cost charging people $500 per ticket to get in and like, you know, put, putting big name celebrities on the stage just to like sell out a show. It's more than that. Exactly. They lose the human connection. They lose the want and desire to really connect with the person and their soul and really help them get to that next place. It kind of feels sometimes like it's all about appearing like they're giving that free therapy and that they're doing so much. And I mean, any level of therapy when therapy is very inaccessible can be really great, but a therapist that really connects with you and that understands you and helps you understand your past and your traumas and what you've gone through and where you are today and what your journey has been and how you can continue on your journey and recognizing your dreams and how you can get there makes a much bigger difference than just a therapist who tells you, oh, you have anxiety, go write in a journal. You know? And that's the thing is like, you know, and I feel like it all starts with leadership, like the top of the top always still need to be involved in what's going on. I, yes, I sit as the chairman, and the CEO of the More Than Mental Project, but you are never not going to find me at one of our events because something else is going on that's more important. Even if like, you know, I don't give, I don't care if we're like five years down the road and we're huge. Like if there's an event going on, I should probably be there. And yeah, I probably won't be able to make it to everything. There's one of me, but people of leadership should be there. So if it's not me, my co-founder should be there. My treasurer should be there. Somebody representing us of the, the executive team and they shouldn't be there just to show face. They should be there. They should be interacting. They should be talking. They should be like, you know, trying to see hey, what do you like about our project? What has helped you? Have have we helped you? How did you hear about us? Like actually getting to know, like I go, like we have skate night all the time and you will find me literally 
walking around, like I won't even be in states, I'll be walking around, going to every person that I don't personally know, because sometimes a lot of people show up that I don't know. I'm like, hey, how'd you hear about us? Like, thank you for coming out. Thank you for supporting. Like, you know, what can we help you with? What do you feel like you need from us? Oh, you don't feel like you need anything from us? You just want to come? Thank you for supporting. Like, having a conversation with these people, learning their names, like, is so important to me. And people, I I just don't think people do it anymore. And that's so true. And I love that because when you connect with somebody and you ask them, what can I do to help you? And if they have some recommendations of ways you can help and further your ability to have an impact, that is so powerful. And for people to know that they can come to you and say, hey, I love what you're doing. Here's my recommendation of how you can do more. That way you can learn, they can learn because sometimes it is hard to when you're not in that space where you need treatment right now, sometimes you might not realize that, oh, what I'm offering is so, so great, but there are other tools that I didn't realize that other people might still need. And to really get to learn and grow is something that's so important. And a lot of organizations lose that. Right. And so that's where like my biggest thing comes from is like, I tell, like, I keep telling everybody, I was like, I don't care if we like, don't like end up being one of the biggest mental health organizations. That's not my goal. My goal is to impact lives. I was like, so if I have changed two lives, I did what I wanted to do. Like, that's what, like, if I can go to two people and be like, I changed your life. That's all I wanted. Like, literally, like, I have this whole board full of notes that the kids have given me from my job. Like, just like saying, like, how much, like, I've changed their lives. And I look at it all the time. So I'm like, this is why I do what I do. Like, like, I go in and I try to put my best foot forward. I give them the energy I would want to have if I was there, like, you know, I know how tough it is to be in there. I try to make it as fun and as real as possible. I talk to them. I'll get, I'll sit down on the floor with them and we'll end up having a conversation. They'll be crying. I'll be like, what's wrong? Like, I'm just going to go in and talk to you like a human versus trying to always just be so like, and it's always, it can't always be so professional. Like, and I think that's another thing we're trying to do differently is, you have to be a little bit more relatable for people to actually want to talk to you. Exactly. I don't want to talk to some CEO in a big suit that like sits there and goes, so what was your problem today? I I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to the guy in the hoodie and the hat and like just chilling. That's like, Hey, what's up? What's going on? Like, you okay? Like, you want to talk? Like, let's sit down. You'll never know how much you'll learn about that person when you just like talk to them. I don't want to talk to the stuffy guy who thinks he knows everything and just wants to be all like make it seem like he's like the perfect person. No, I want to tell you that I'm a real freaking person. I I say cuss words a lot. I, you know, I drink sometimes. Like I do things like a normal freaking person. Like, I don't want you to think I'm some perfect person that doesn't cuss and doesn't drink and doesn't do all this because I run a mental health organization. No, I know some of my people like struggle with alcohol issues. Do I talk about alcohol with them? No, but do they know I drink? Yes, like it's real. Like I still like keep it real. If they come to me and they think, oh, what did you do this weekend? Oh, like nothing. I got with a couple friends and we had a couple drinks. That's, that was the real truth. Did I sit there and be like, oh my God, I got so plastered. It was so fun. No, we had a couple drinks and we just talked. We hung out. Oh, okay, cool. Awesome. And it's like just keeping that transparency, like we talked about, like from the beginning, like just being transparent and open with the person and obviously not giving them too much because you can't give everybody your whole life story. Like that's a little bit unethical, but just giving them a little bit pieces of information about you to make them feel like they actually 
you know, know who you are. All of my patients know, like, I'm obsessed with dance, fashion, and mental health. The three components that make up me, dance, fashion, and mental health. That is who I am as a human being, and it may not look like it right now because I am a hot mess, but, like, that is who I am. Like, I, every time I go in and do a group of therapy, I'm dressed. Like, I'm always dressed up, and everybody's like, do you, must you get, like, full fashion, like, show ready to come up here? I'm like, yes, because that is me. That is the realistic part of me. Like, you never know what you're going to get. And I think it's so real to just be real in this environment. Tell people how you feel. Tell people how you are. I will text my boss in a heartbeat and be like, I am not having a good mental health day. I'm not coming in. Sorry. And, you know, that's just how it is. And it should be able to be like that. And obviously, like, I know, like, all jobs can't allow that because some people would take advantage. They'd be like, oh, I'm not having a bad mental health day. And then they're like out, like having mimosas with their friends because that's just what they want to do. Cool. I understand that. But at the same time, there has to be a balance of like, okay, you just like you get a certain amount of sick days, you should be getting a certain amount of mental health days. Like to where like, hey, today is a really bad day. Like I have, if I have six six day sick days why can't I have three mental health days so that way they are different like no I wasn't actually sick these are my mental health days and then some days like you should be able to use your sick days as your mental health days hey like I'm not feeling well emotionally like you know mentally so like I'm gonna stay home today but it's our job to kind of make sure that we keep it balanced as well I would love to see that in schools as well I mean, so many times, and I just did this initiative where I wrote a letter to the governor of Florida, and I was like, it's ridiculous that students, you can't go to a teacher and say, I'm having a panic attack. I can't sit in your class right now. And you miss class. That's an unexcused absence because anxiety doesn't count as being sick. And now you are going to fail out of the class because you're not allowed to be absent. It's ridiculous that we don't treat mental health as something serious. I mean, someone has a cold, you expect them to go to the doctor, take some time for themselves and their healing. But when somebody is having a panic attack or depressive episode or a manic episode, you expect them to just like snap their fingers and be fine. And keep going. Yeah. And it's absolutely ridiculous. And I was really angry with the way the mental health system was working, especially in the education system, because there were times where I'd be throwing up blood, stressed out about taking Mm -hmm. an exam I'd be having full on panic attacks. I'd have to try to pull myself together to get through an exam. And I've been so blessed in my life that I have been very, very good at pulling myself together and getting through an exam and by some miracle doing well. But a lot of people cannot do that. And it made me so angry that there were so many kids that were not going to graduate this semester that I graduated because they didn't have that same opportunity because they didn't have that ability to just snap their fingers and pull themselves together for an hour. Right. And I think that's ridiculous because like you, like you said, there's no, in schools, there's no real like mental health course. There's no real way of like, you can't be that. Like some teachers care and they'll take a little bit more care of you before the entire, as a whole, most of them don't care. Like if you're not having a good day, you have to call in sick and then go get a doctor's note to prove that you were sick instead of being like, no, I, I wasn't like physically sick. I was mentally not well. Like I just could not handle it. Yeah, And like, it's just this weird back and forth. Like we say, that's like, 
half of and hopefully like we see a change with this like new form of government coming into like for the next four years like hopefully like people like us can get a hold of them somehow and talk to those people in power like look like this is what we're trying to do let's sign a new bill let's change this in schools to where kids can actually take off you know up to so many days per semester or per year to take a mental health day you know I understand not wanting to take advantage of the situation at the same time we have to be realistic and give these people time like if y'all are having a bad day as executive leaders of our country and y'all take a day off we will never know yeah we never know when y'all take a day off because y'all have people under people under people working to continue to do what y'all do exactly the country still runs we don't get that luxury if we take a moment that's payment that's pay that's a paycheck missing that's a schoolwork assignment missing. That's a meal, not like, you know, that's something that we're physically losing Exactly. that we have to take care of. And we don't have the luxury of being like, hey, like I need to take this mental day. Oh, well now you've missed the day of pay. Well, exactly. you know, I could take PTO, but I'm going to need that PTO for something. Like it's crazy how people are scavenging PTO and being like, I've got to hold all this PTO because like, what if one day I want to use it and I need it and gotta get like, it's crazy that we do that because that's what we are taught and have to do because we don't have the luxury of like being like, all right, today I'm going to take my PTO for a mental health day. And you shouldn't even have to take your PTO for a mental health day. You should be able to take a mental health day without it counting against you or using your PTO. And I even wanted to start something like that. Like I was trying to like think of an initiative of like, to where like if we can like partner with somebody or like get like a big corporation to actually partner with us to where we can start like partnering with insurance so we pay you like maybe half of your rate for your day if you take a mental health day like we'll now come back and pay you half your rate or like match something like give you something to where you don't feel like you've lost half a day you know what I mean I feel like that would be so incredible if we actually had that to where, could you imagine like being able to call in and like, you know, then calling like our system and being like, hey, I called in and we're like, okay, like let us call your job. And then like now we're verifying and then matching your pay for that day. Next, you know, like you don't have to miss a paycheck. You don't have to miss this, but you still got to take a day to do what you needed to do. That would be absolutely incredible. And that would help lower the suicide rate in so many ways. Because I think one of the biggest contributions to the suicide rate is that that lack of support, that never being able to take that time to really stop and take care of yourself because you can't miss that test. You can't miss that assignment. You can't miss that day of work. You can't miss that paycheck. Right. There's so much that you can't take time for yourself. Right. You get to that point where you just can't take it anymore. Right. And if we gave people the opportunity to take care of themselves and get the help that they need and that they deserve, we could dramatically decrease the suicide rate. And I'm so happy that this new administration for the first time in at least my lifetime, and I think ever really to have mental health as a platform, which I'm so excited about. But I also think that making the current treatment system more accessible is not good enough. We need to change the treatment system. Like you said, there's a lot of mental hospitals that they don't have that personal connection, that personal touch. It's all about that money, either both ones versus the state ones. They're just the same. They don't 
teach you enough coping mechanisms. It's very limited, the coping mechanisms they're teaching you. They're not sitting and making time to connect with you and find out why you're there. And not just why you're there is because you may have attempted at your life or you have thoughts about attempting your life. What led up to those thoughts? What got you to that situation? That's something that's so important to understand and explore in those vulnerable moments so you know what you're actually feeling. Because a lot of times we don't know where it comes from, right? It just all bottles up. Right. And having those connections, maybe finding out, I know a lot of times in mental hospitals, they force you onto an antidepressant right away, but some people don't react well to antidepressants. I didn't, it made me worse and people don't realize and they just kind of force it down. And then what about the people that don't take it? You have to stay longer. Like, I think that is so crazy. Like if I don't want to take the drug that you try to force me to take, now I have to stay longer. I feel like the mental health system, and I said this a couple of days ago, like I feel like it should be set up as a system. The first day, the first two days should be evaluation days. I'm not just gonna try to give you anything. I'm not trying to gonna try to do it. I'm gonna like encourage you to come to groups, but your first two days, we're evaluating you. I'm gonna send a therapist in there to talk to you one-on-one. I'm gonna send your psychiatrist to talk to you one-on-one. Second day, same thing. I'm sending another therapist, send another psychiatrist, send them both at the same time. We're all gonna be working together. After those two days, now. We've realized it. We're going to start asking about drugs. Hey, how do you feel about, like, we're both, like, recommending this, your therapist and your psychiatrist. We both agree that it, it looks like this. So how would you feel about taking this? Oh, you don't, you've never taken a drug before? Okay, well, you know, we feel like this maybe could help you. We understand if you don't want to take it. Okay, so let's try to go to groups first. Now, if you decline the drug, all right, like, if you're going to decline the drug, we're going to make sure you go to all your groups. We're going to give you the coping skills. If we see you're like trying or you're getting better, we can go from there. If you're not, we're going to have to result to the drugs. Like, you know, it's exactly. all about a conversation though. And it's sad because they walk in. How are you today? What's your depression rate? What's your anxiety rate? What's this? What's that? They circle a bunch of numbers. They write a bunch of things down. All right, I'm going to freaking prescribe you zolazepine and cur- like all this other stuff. And then they're out. They say yeah. nothing else. And I'm and- like- what? <laughs> exactly. And they prescribe everyone the same medication so they don't tailor it to the person because maybe it's not severe depression. Maybe it's anxiety and anxiety caused depression. And that's a different medication. A lot of times they just prescribe like at the one I was at, they prescribe Lexapro and a lot of people have mm-hmm. bad reactions and side effects to Lexapro. That is not, that is very common knowledge. Right. Almost anybody you talk to can tell you that a lot of people do not react well with Lexapro. So forcing everyone in there to take Lexapro can help. But, you know, and the system, and I feel bad because I have so much respect for everyone who works in mental hospitals and volunteers and helps out, but we need to be doing more. It's not enough. And making this current system more accessible is not good enough. It's honestly worse because and then the we're fact not that setting you, people up to succeed. Sorry. You, no, you're good. But like, it's so crazy because it's the fact that you're setting suicidal ideation people in there with the same as anxiety people, with the same as detox people. You're sending them all in the same group. somebody is not getting something out of this group. I don't know if it's the anxiety girl or the detox guy or the suicidal ideation guy, or I don't know who it is, but somebody's not going to get something out of this group. Why? Because this group can only be geared towards one type of person. Exactly. If I go in for detox and you're sitting up always talking about anxiety and stuff, I'm like, okay, what does this have to do with me? I had a drug problem. I had a detox problem. Or like I go in and, you know, I have, you know, major, major anxiety or whatever, but I've never had a suicidal ideation. Now you're telling me like, oh, well, like this is how you deal with like suicide. And you're like, well, I never dealt with that. Mine is anxiety. Like I have really bad anxiety. I have like, you know, like it's so weird that they all just like lump. 
It's like, here it is. Yeah. Here's everybody. And it's like, somebody's not going to get something out of this group. And that like, all- I feel like there should be set people doing set things at set times. All right, these, all right, you're going to group. If you're here for detox, you're down there. If you're here for this, you're over here. Like you should be separating them. There should be therapists there just doing one-on-one. There should be therapists there just doing group. There should be therapists there just like working with a psychiatrist, you know, always with the psychiatrist to like, you know, keep that balance because yeah, like a psychiatrist is great and they have a lot, they have all the knowledge and skills, their doctors are cruel. But then like just a therapist to be there to like vouch and back it up and be like, all right, like no. Your therapist can't make that call, but having a therapist there to talk to and be like, all right, so I feel like it's this. But okay, well, I talked to him earlier in group and he was saying this and this and this. So maybe it's not that, but maybe it's this. So maybe, you know, instead, like, let's change that up a little. Like, just having those conversations. And I feel like people want to walk in, make their assumptions, make their decision, and then dip. Exactly. It's all about that personal connection. And we're not setting people up to succeed because we're not giving them a list of full coping mechanisms. We're giving them the very few that we cover in groups. And also, you know, starting people on medication. And then what happens to the people who can't afford medication afterwards? Once you Now you just put it in their system. You got them used to it. And now they're going to spiral when they come out of it. Or they finally found something that's going to help them. And now you're like, just kidding. We're taking it away from you. Because you can't afford it. Yeah. It's ridiculous the way the system works. It makes me so mad because it really isn't setting you up to succeed. It's not. It's not. And that's the sad part, because then you have people in there who are like literally trying to kill themselves over financial situations. Now you've stuck them in this place, slapped Ran another financial bill. financial burden on them. Now they're like, you know, you've calmed them down for a whole, you know, maybe five days. They leave. They can't afford their medicine. They have no insurance. Now y'all keep sending them like bills from like this freaking whole medical stay. And they're mm-hmm. like, what the heck is this? And it's crazy. It is. And then think about the um, people who get sent to a hospital that doesn't have a mental hospital or psych ward there. And they have to take an ambulance now to another hospital. And then they're going to charge them like 600 to $1,000 for the ambulance ride. It's absolutely- and, and you had to do an ER stay because now you yep. have to stay there until they find you a spot. Because that was like even my whole situation. Like I was in the emergency room for three whole days before they found mm. me an actual bed at a hospital so it was absolutely insane and it's like this stuck like you know three days after I was kind of over it so I was like all right just send me home and they're like well no like legally we can't you have to go to a mental hospital to stay I was like which is crazy now y'all are forcing me to do this I don't want to freaking be here I don't want to do anything leave me alone like now I'm just oh it's so bad it's so bad it is a lot of times the places are very dark and gloomy because and I get the reason why they feel they need to barricade everything and keep it safe I get it but also put some pictures on the walls make it right don't make it so gloomy because we already feel gloomy that's why we're here you know and it's so crazy because like my kids knew when I was there because at 7 30 7 45 in the morning I was blasting music through the unit and I'm waking them up. I'm like, all right, y'all, let's um, come on, get up. Let's get dressed. Let's get ready. Like, it's time for breakfast. I'm blasting music. They're already like, oh, okay, like, this is going to be fun. I'm setting, like, I'm, like, talking to them about how the day is going to go. After that, I'm like, all right, go ahead. Like, we're going to take showers. After that, we're going to go straight to our first group, and it's just going to be a good day. Whole day through, I'm usually playing music. We're trying to play a game. We're trying to get them, like, involved. Because you're, like, just sitting there and just putting on something on the TV. It's so boring. Exactly. I and want to keep of, you engaged. 
And a lot of times they don't have movies or books or crayons or anything for people to do, right? So you're just sitting there in silence. It's so awkward. I remember the whole time I went and introduced myself to every single person there, found out their name and why they were there and tried to like talk to them and connect with them because there was nothing else to do. And I was like, I'm that person who's super bubbly and outgoing and I will talk to anybody about anything, but I'm looking around me and everyone's terrified out of their mind. And I was like, I can't imagine how, if you don't have that super bubbly personality where you can just like snap your fingers and put on a show to just, you know, if you can't do that, it has to be so terrifying. And I was and like, not only that, like it, it got to a point where like, at least for us, it's like, well, don't make personal connections. Cause that's inappropriate. And I'm like, what do you want me to do? Like, I get like, you know, not making too personal of connections because sometimes like shit, um, excuse me, things are weird. And, you know, like, you don't know what that person's in for. They could be like a pathological liar and like have homicidal ideations. And like, you just gave them your whole name and now they're obsessed with you. I get not getting too personal, but like, while we're in there having a conversation, let me be like, hey, how are you? Like, yeah, one of my like really like good friends to this day still, I met at the mental hospital. We, and like, we have had ups and downs because of like, after like we both got out, like our lives just went in different places mine kind of like went in a very positive way and his did not and we've had a lot of fallouts about it because I'm like okay well like this is what I'm doing and I can't keep going back to where you are and trying to help you if you're not going to help yourself yeah and like lately we've been really good because I told him I was like look this is the last straw like if you're not going to help yourself I'm just going to have to like leave you where you are I've always loved you but like there, like that's my boundary like that's where I have to stop and be like all right I have to set this up for me and my life but like I made a real I will never say that I didn't make a really good friend there because he is still a genuinely good friend he's a good person but like if I see what they mean by not making two personal connections but like while I'm in there if I want to get to know a person's name and why they're in here like let me let me talk to this person. (laughs) Exactly. And it just helps you form that connection of not feeling alone. You know, everyone feels so alone in there because it is so gloomy. You're terrified out of your mind. You just went through a very dramatic experience and it's hard and it's painful and you don't know anybody and group therapy scaring you. They're just checking circling things and then giving you medication no one's telling you what's going on they're telling you you legally have to stay here 72 hours if you had suicidal ideation passive but if you had active suicidal ideation you're now here for five days and there's no arguing there's no fighting they're not going to change it you argue with them they'll extend your stay they're just going to extend your stay now you're this and you're getting a crazy cocktail and you're you know getting all these things where they're just like injecting you with medicine because you're crazy and I'm like and then some people don't feel comfortable talking in groups like some people don't want to express their whole life story in front of a group like I'm sorry I do not want to tell you that I just got dumped and like that's why I'm in here that's kind of embarrassing sorry I don't want to tell you I'm losing everything and that's kind of embarrassing like no I don't want to tell you like my life freaking is absolutely crazy like I don't want to tell you certain things sorry like and but if I don't talk now I'm not participating like exactly. no that's not a thing like I think it's so important that if somebody doesn't participate in group you should immediately walk in there like hey would you like to have a one-on-one session they're like yes I would love to talk to you personally but sorry I don't feel comfortable talking with everybody in the group exactly because some people are introverts not everybody wants to speak look at people in classes how much anxiety and fear people go through having to speak in front of a class 
speak in front of people. And now you're telling them you're in the, one of the most vulnerable spaces you've ever been speak in front of everybody and tell them why you're here. When there's a Your whole stigma, life story. Yeah. When there's a giant stigma around mental health in this conversation in general, you know, it's not easy. I used to have, my family would bring me books and I would read the books and I would, they actually let me use a highlighter, which I was so lucky. They like watched me use it, but they let me use it. And then I would read passages from it during group because nobody felt comfortable talking. And I was like, well, you know what? This inspired me today. And every day I read a new book and I brought a new book to group, but they don't realize people didn't feel comfortable talking. So changing the conversation, maybe the conversation didn't have to be, why are you in here? Maybe it's what's something positive that's coming out of today or what inspires you or what motivates you to keep going, you know, changing the conversation so that people feel more comfortable is so important. And we are running out of time, but I just want to say, I love what you're doing so much. And I'm just so thankful that you joined me for this. Of course, of course. I'm so grateful that you reached out to me for this opportunity. Um, I know it was supposed to be done so long ago. Again, I'm sorry. (laughs) But um, yes, I'm very excited. And I would love to continue to collaborate on all different types of things, because that's our ultimate goal is to expand the access is not just here in DFW, Texas, but just all over because I've lived in Florida, I've lived in LA, I've lived in New York, like I feel like everywhere I went there was needed to be there was this calling for it. So definitely. Exactly. Thank you so much. Thank you.